today's episode of Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast, the show where we bring in top thought leaders, decision makers, and influencers in the utility industry to dissect the key issues hitting the world of energy today. I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe, and I'm coming to you from New York City. As always, I'm joined with Matt Chester, producer of this podcast and Energy Central's community manager. Matt, are you excited for today's episode? Sure, I'm Jason. I, I think this is a guest that has been long overdue to be on the podcast, so I'm excited to give him the floor and, and start diving in. Yeah, I'm excited as well. So the grid has been called the most complex machine that humans have ever built, and it's also one of the most critical to our modern way of life. A well-functioning grid is foundational to our advanced society. After all, what keeps our food cold, our medicine chilled, our computers and data centers running, our military on high alert, and increasingly, our cars charged. Our lives depend on a safe, reliable, and affordable electrical system. For years, leading voices in the industry have been calling for upgrades, for modernizations, and for renewed investments in the grid infrastructure. In recent years, a number of major events, not the least of which include the outages in Texas from the winter storms this past February, have hammered home how critical it has become to address any potential shortcomings of the grid as quickly as possible. Specifically, today's guest is going to guide us on a tour of how the various stakeholders come together to fix the grid are actually falling short of really embracing what's needed. Seeking to guide the conversation away from mythical silver bullets, the ever outspoken and rarely shy Doug Hausman of 1898 and Company, a subsidiary of Burns and McDonnell, will tap into his extensive experience in history in the utility sector to reset the grid modernization conversation for us. But before we bring Doug into the virtual studio, let's recognize our key sponsors who made this episode possible. To West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities and their telecommunications, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends operational expertise, customer experience, and technology to address the challenges of modernizing aging infrastructure, transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, and challenges presented by the proliferation of DER and cybersecurity. To ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, and that includes GIS software, WebGIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, Guidehouse is a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Anterix, Anterix focuses on delivering transformative broadband that enables the modernization of critical infrastructure for the energy, transportation, logistics, and other sectors of our economy. And to Scott Madden. Scott Madden is a management consulting firm serving clients across the energy utility ecosystem. Areas of focus include transmission and distribution, the grid edge, generation, energy markets, rates and regulations, corporate sustainability, and corporate services. The firm helps clients develop and implement strategies, improve critical operations, reorganize departments and entire companies, and implement myriad initiatives. Today's podcast guest is never shy to bring both deep insight and a sharp tongue to the conversation. His desire to share what he thinks is coupled with a passion to make the world a better place and do so through our electric grid. He is a prolific writer on Energy Central and a member since 2017, 
having shared his insights with dozens of original posts, questions answered, and insightful comments added to the community. For members on Energy Central, there's a good chance you've read his postings, read his responses to your questions, or chimed in on discussions offering perspective. So while Doug may draw his boyhood roots from farm country in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, he rolls up his sleeves and rumbles like he is from Detroit. Doug's broad background in the energy sector has taken him across many different organizations and corners of the industry, from Capgemini, where he worked his way up to Chief Technology Officer, to his founding of the Smart Energy Alliance, to a stint as Vice President of Technical Innovation at Enernex, and ultimately to his current role at Burns & McDonald. Today, he is the lead for grid modernization with the firm, and he continues to be a leading public voice on grid-related issues. Frustrated with the tendency towards sound bites or single technology solutions being proposed for the future of the grid, Doug recently shared a post on Energy Central titled, The Whole Grid and Nothing But the Grid. And in today's episode, we're going to let Doug give you a piece of his mind as we dig deeper into the topic. Doug Hausman, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Thank you. Doug, let's start with the basics. You wrote that much of what you're reading today about fixing the grid doesn't sit well with you. Share some of these headlines, and without naming names, where are you seeing these statements generally coming from? Well, if we look at the Texas event in February, we saw a lot of people pop up and say, well, if they'd just been connected to the rest of the country, there wouldn't have been a problem. Well, that's at least the most false headline and conclusion that you can draw from the events in Texas in February, because if you look at California ISO, Southern Power Pool, WEC, MISO, and the other control areas that surround Texas, even Mexico, they were all in crisis for power during that time. And connecting Texas wouldn't have helped Texas at all. And if we'd connected Texas three or four years ago because of the very low-cost wind power, the folks in WEC probably would have lost six or eight gigawatts of power plants because they weren't economically sustainable. So the issue would have been worse, not better. And you can look at Solar is so cheap, we can get rid of everything else. Okay, solar is so cheap, if you can use the power exactly when it's made, that you don't need anything else at that time. But at three o'clock in the morning, solar is very dear. And the cost is not just the cost of solar, it's also the cost of storage. And we tend in each piece of the industry to take only the cost of our piece and not look at it in the perspective of reliable 8760 power across the year, regardless of the weather and regardless of the season. Right now, our peak is in the summer, typically in the late afternoon. As we get to more and more electric heating, and we replace all the natural gas, and we get to more and more electric transportation, our peak is gonna shift from summer afternoon to winter night. Solar doesn't produce very well in the middle of December. Wind, to a large extent, doesn't produce as well as we would like at that time. So we either need to overbuild 
And in the case of Ottawa, Ontario, the load in December is such that they'd have to put 12 kilowatts of solar on the roof to equal one June kilowatt of solar based on the difference in load between June and December in the output of the two. So how would you like to have to build 12 times of something and shut 11 of them off much of the year? That doesn't sound like affordable power to me. Yeah. So Doug, let's talk about that. So instead of pushing singular solutions, you're arguing for a more complete systemic approach. So what would this practice look like? So we've got Diablo Canyon in California. Nuclear power plant produces two gigawatts about 8,600 hours out of the 8,700 hours of the year. So how do I replace that big baseload plant? Okay. It turns out it's about 9.7 gigawatts of solar in that same area in California. And it's just shy of about $30 billion in storage at today's cost to support that 9.7 gigawatts of solar in order to be able to provide that level of reliable power. When we look at that, all of a sudden, the cost of baseload solar doesn't look quite so cheap as when available solar. Now, we could do a lot of energy efficiency work with all of that money. We could do a lot of demand response work with all of that money. We could put in a lot of thermal storage with all of that money and so on and so forth and maybe not replace the base load. But that's something that nobody has taken the time to actually work through in a systematic fashion to find those megawatt hours in those particular hours of the day when it's needed. We have a tendency to talk about solar, and I'm sorry, I'm picking on solar as a whipping boy, and we need lots and lots and lots of solar, but it's easy to poke holes in the current hype around solar. Doug, back to your paper. Part of the problem you cite is that what prevents the system from moving forward is the tendency for politicians to latch on to sound bites, for consultants to get paid for their preferred solution, and for the public to want neat and easy to understand solutions that push reliability and affordability. So how do we shift those stakeholders to instead adopt the systems approach? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is to put into middle school and high school science classes units on water electricity, gas, wastewater, and other things that are critical to our society so that people don't still think that, oh, electricity comes from that thing in the wall. And I don't know how many junior high, high school classes I walk into to talk about electricity where two-thirds of the class thinks that electricity comes out of the wall and there's nothing beyond putting that little box in the wall. We have dumbed down and forgotten to teach the public about the utilities that they use, the complexities behind them, and why they need to think carefully about how they use them. We've got in Congress right now, three people with engineering degrees. So we got 335 Congress people between the House and the Senate, and 1% of them have an engineering degree. More than 90% have a law degree. Shouldn't we have better representation by understanding in order to make laws that touch on all that critical infrastructure and the critical services that our society depend on? 
let's get back to some of the tangible examples where we could look at who's doing things right, where are things perhaps on the cusp of potentially doing, you know, moving in the right direction. So are there any states or regions that you can think is approaching and moving in the right direction? What are some examples of regional grids that are falling into a single approach trap that you've warned us about? So can you share with us some of the landscape and how you're seeing where things are working and where, where it's not? Well, as we saw with the August rolling blackouts in California, the fact that they pushed renewables very heavily and depended on imports from other states, which they figured wouldn't be advancing along the same path, rather than putting in enough storage to take advantage of the investment in renewables, cost them a lot of trust with the public in California. And it's unfortunate because there are people in California who are engineers and were advising the appropriate people and were not listened to about the storage issues. And so we got the rolling blackouts. This spring, it is not unusual at noon or one o'clock in the afternoon in California for the power price to be negative for five gigawatts or more of renewable energy to be curtailed. And it's only growing as they put in more renewables faster than they put in storage. They also have congestion problems on their grid because they figured that rooftop renewables would deal with most of the demand issues and so they wouldn't have those congestion problems, except they do. Doug, in your paper, you talk about messaging problems. You talk about resource allocation problems. Are there technical problems that can be solved and that need to be addressed as well that we can do through technological improvements? There are always technological improvements. We built most of our grid in terms of the grid pattern in the 1920s and 1930s and continue to build out that pattern as people move further and further into the suburbs and so on and so forth. In order to keep it economic, much of what we did was called an open radial system. So if you think of a bicycle tire and you take the tire and the rim off and you look at the spokes, they kind of run out every direction from the hub, which we could call a substation but they never touch after they leave that hub. Much of our distribution grid is still built in that open radial fashion, which means that if we have one fault on the circuit, the customers at the end of that circuit probably don't have any power. Thinking about how to loop those circuits so the ends of those circuits touch and how to automatically feed the end of that circuit from the end of the other circuit is an important issue in the equipment, even though we've got reclosers and we know how to do it. Specific equipment to do that currently doesn't exist. There's work being done at Oak Ridge on solid state equipment that would do that. It would fix many of our power quality problems. It would allow us to change the voltage and give us DC power in addition to AC or to put DC power into the AC grid without having to have individual inverters. And that's something I really support because as we get to a more flexible grid where we can be fed from more locations, we get more resiliency, which means people spend fewer minutes in the dark. And when I was a kid, 
if the outage was four or five hours, that wasn't a big deal because we really only had to worry about the refrigerator completely defrosting. Otherwise, we could do almost everything without the electric grid. As we've gotten more and more addicted to the internet for doing work from home from COVID-19 and other things, and we put more and more life support equipment into homes so that people don't have to be in hospitals and they can stay alive for a longer period of time with a better quality of life, the grids kind of become more important. And so the more technology solutions that we can get and work the cost down, the better off we're going to be. Let's now take this from the macro to the micro. So let's say a utility CEO is listening today and agrees with everything you're saying. What would you tell the CEO as the first step to take in terms of moving forward with what we're, what we're talking about in your paper? Probably the first step I would take as a CEO is to take a step back and, and ask two questions. If I were to have my great-grandchildren come into this company in 100 years, what would it be famous for? Take all of the temporal issues out. Take all of the personality issues out. Take everything else out. Look well into the future and say, what do we actually need to do well 100 years from now? The second ask is, do I believe that we are actually going to get to electrification in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I don't care what the time period is. And what does that mean to my company in terms of load, reliability, resiliency, sources, storage, etc.? Again, without putting any temporal ideas behind it. And then use that as an end state to think about what steps they need to take today to get to that end state. So if I believe that end state is 50 years from now, where do I have to be in 25 years to get to that end state? If I need to be there in 25 years, where do I need to be in 10 years to be on the right trajectory in order to be able to make sure that I can meet that 25-year and that 50-year goal. And once you start to back in very specific steps that you need to take to make your utility better and to provide the kinds of things that your customers need become clear. And one of the key things that I always say to people who run the grid or water systems or gas systems is there are three facets to a good utility. It needs to be strong, it needs to be smart, and it needs to be sustainable. And many people, unfortunately, when they're doing their roadmaps, focus on one of the three. I'm going to be sustainable. I'm going to put in all renewables and storage. And then they find out that the grid's not strong enough to move all of that energy from where they make it to where they want it to be at the time that the customer wants it. And yes, we can shape customer demand, but to what extent can we shape customer demand? Ultimately, if we follow some of the philosophy that's out there, we can shape customer demand to the point where we can shut down the grid for four, five, six hours at a time. 
that may be theoretically possible is probably not realistically possible. We need to be smart. We need to know what's going where, where we have more capacity, what in the way of demand side management we can take advantage of, and all the other pieces that are involved so that we can optimize how the grid is operating regardless of the weather. And from that optimization, help our customers have the power they need, not always what they want, at a price that is reasonable. And reasonable is not always cheap. And the final thing is we want the grid to be sustainable. We want to use materials in the building of the grid itself that have great longevity and good recyclability. And we want to put renewables and other sustainable generation sources on the grid and the same for storage, which means maybe it's not lithium ion, maybe in a hot summer, what I want rather than batteries are big tanks full of ice that I use in a district heating and cooling system in order to keep the buildings at the right temperature. And maybe in the wintertime, instead of having ice in those tanks, I have just shy of boiling water in those tanks. Maybe instead of putting photovoltaics on somebody's roof, the right answer is I put thermal catalytic fluid heaters on the roof in order to be able to store heat from the summertime until the wintertime. But we've got to start thinking, as Apple says, different. And we've got to pay attention to how all the pieces go together because you can make one really good and ignore another one and all of a sudden you can't do anything. It's like the guy who was in the Hot Rod magazines for about three years during the 1960s as he put a P-51 Mustang Allison engine into a Volkswagen Bug. And the reason he was in the magazine through the years is he put the engine in and the transmission and the back axle didn't work. And then he put a transmission and a back axle in that worked and the rest of the sp suspension wouldn't hold the car up and so on and so forth. By the time he was done, I don't think there was a part of the car that he hadn't touched. And we need to avoid that. I'm going to do this. Oops, I need to do that. We need instead to say, I'm going to do this. And in order to do that, I'm going to do this, 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 and this along the way. And some of those thises may reduce the initial that. And that's the way we need to think about things. Yeah. So I would encourage everyone to go on Energy Central and read Doug Hausman's article, The Whole Grid and Nothing But the Grid. Doug, we want to thank you for your time. And now we're going to do something a little bit different. It's called our lightning round. This is where we ask you a few personal questions to allow our listeners to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. So your response should be limited to one word or phrase. Are you ready? Yep. Best fast food meal. Chick-fil-A. What did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut, and I got close. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Patience. Last book you read? 1632 by Eric Flint. Ideal vacation spot? 
with a time machine, Mombasa, Kenya, circa 1982. What are you most optimistic about? The human race will survive. Fantastic. You've made it to the other end of the lightning round unscathed, which means you've earned the final word on today's episode. You've thrown a lot of great ideas to our listeners today, and they'll hopefully heed your advice. So is there a final takeaway that you want to leave us with? What's the message you want to ring in their heads in the days to come? Understand the context of the sound bites and make decisions based on solid knowledge, not just quick advice. Doug Hausman, thank you once again for this insightful dive into the world of grid modernization. And thanks for always sharing your thoughts on Energy Central community as well. And I'll note that our listeners should check back to Energy Central to see your continued posts and insights. Thank you again, Doug. Thank you. You can always reach Doug Hausman through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. See you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Mm -hmm.